Welcome to In Early, the crypto podcast, where I speak to those at the forefront of the digital asset space, telling real life stories, discussing the growth and growing pains of the industry, and exploring how blockchain technology has made an impact on people's lives. My name is Matt Green, and I'm the blockchain litigation lead at Shoesmiths. This week's episode features Johnny Fry, the Crypto AM Influencer of the Year 2022. A wealth of knowledge in this sector, Johnny runs Digital Bytes, which creates and distributes a weekly roundup of the biggest stories in the world of digital assets, complemented by his own podcast, Digital Bytes, by his brand Team Blockchain. We speak about a huge array of topics, from his views on regulation, the history of digital assets and money, to how he came to found his media business off the back of years of running and managing funds, how he chooses topics of interest and carefully curates, and what being an influencer means to him. Johnny, how you doing? Welcome. Thanks, Matt. Nice, nice to be here in uh, in the middle of the city, sitting by. We're in the aren't we under Bow Bells. We are. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully they don't go off. I hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, we're gonna have to restart. Um, thanks for coming down. Now I know you've been in the industry uh, for a while, running Team Blockchain. Uh, you're a Ned at Turn, or uh, the Investing and Saving Alliance, that's the T in Turn, uh, Universal Reporting Network, and a chairman of Gemini Capital. And when we spoke at the House of Block event, uh, the party in December last year, you told me you hadn't always been in this space. So I think it'd be useful to understand your journey, what you used to do prior, and how you've come into this industry. Right. Okay. Um, well, uh, my sort of longer term career was I set up a fund management business. So managing, in those days, they were called unit trusts. Um, so it was managing sort of collective pools of investments for private clients. And they were sold through intermediaries, um, accountants, lawyers, listers, IFAs. And then back in the, and that was back in 19, all started back in 87. Um, so quite a long time ago now. Um, and I was really cool. I, and I was a real techie because I bought a TV with teletext in it. And uh, perhaps a lot of the listeners and viewers won't know what Teletext is, but basically it meant that I could tell my clients what the price of BP was, and it was only 15 minutes delayed, whereas um, they were having a copy of the Times or the Telegraph, and some of the upmarket ones had the FT, but they were 24 hours delayed. So um, Right, you had a massive... Oh, massive. So it was, it was, it was huge. <laughs> it was huge tech, but... But no, we, we went on and bought um, Bruin Dolphins Unit Trust Company, right? Um, which we then turned into USITs. And it also had a, a range of funds in Luxembourg called CCAPS. Um, and I was CEO of that business and we floated here in London um, for over 20 years. Um, and then I just, just wanted to do something different, have a change. And um, for a while, actually got involved in running um, a, a, a business just around the corner from here. And they were selling uh, penny shares. And that was, uh, that was an interesting business. Go on, um, give me give me like a minute on that because this sounds like you want to say some stuff that maybe no, just um, I'd, well, I'd never worked in the city. I'd always worked. I'd set the business up in Guildford. Um, really modelled on a company called Perpetual. Um, Perpetual got taken over by Invesco, but Perpetual were based in Henley, not far from where my parents lived. Um, and I thought, well, why be in the city? Mm-hmm. Why do the commute when you don't need to? Yeah. Um, so I used to come up to London or come to city uh, sort of once a week, but most of the time I was spent in Guildford. Um, and then about five, well, no, it's probably a bit longer than that. It's about seven or eight years ago. Kept coming across this thing called blockchain. And I had no idea. I'm, not, I'm generally not a techie. Yeah. Um, and then Bitcoin. And Bitcoin at the time was all about Silk Road and um, sort of dodgy dealing and, you know, screw the banks and all this sort of stuff. And thought, well, actually, 
you know, I've always been regulated. Wasn't re- that didn't really float my boat. Mm. Um, but I was intrigued by the technology. Um, and I was, it had always irritated me that you have an annual management fee on a fund of say one, one and a half percent. But what it actually costs the investor is probably near a two and a half to three percent, something called a total expense ratio. Right. And and it's because you've got lawyers and you've got administrators and custodians and trustees and marketing. Well, hang on. Surely if we're the regulated fund manager, shouldn't we take responsibility for all those costs? Why have we got all these costs? Um, and it has got better, to be fair. But to have a, a ledger, um, some uh, uh, one record of information that everyone can share, the regulators, the, the clients, the suppliers, just to me seemed to make a lot of sense. Um, and I was I was talking to a, to actually a lawyer friend of mine and he was saying, oh, what are you doing? And I said, well, I've just been looking at this technology called blockchain. He said, blockchain? I said, no, 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 it's blockchain. And uh, I mentioned them by name. Well, I could do. They're not far from me. Right? <laughs> and, um, and we'd had a couple of beers and... Yeah. Um, and I was telling about an event I'd gone to with um, IBM were talking and they were talking about QR codes. Do you know what QR codes are? Well, now, I mean, they were made very famous by uh, COVID, obviously, because you had to scan in menus and everything. But back in the day... And what does QR stand for? Go on. Come on, you're a lawyer. You're a learned oh. friend. I know you haven't got your wig on today and, and your robes, but... I don't on. know. I, I, oh, for I, goodness QR code. I just know it as a QR code. Quick response. Quick response. Yeah, quick response. What do you think about it? Quick response. Well, it depends what sort of internet connection you have when you're doing it. Well, that's true. That's true. (laughs) So, and they they were saying, look, if you can prove the provenance of a product, Mm. then people will pay up to 39% more. So if you can prove where, I don't know, where the flowers came from, the honey came from, the milk came from, whatever it may be, people will pay more um, and and people are much more mindful. Is it sustainable? Mm. What impacts are having? And um, and we had another period, didn't even think about it. About two weeks later, the guy phones me out, the lawyer says, can you help me? And I'm saying, yeah, sure. He said, well, we've got one of our biggest clients and um, they've asked us, um, what do we do about blockchain? That's going to be a laugh. You, you, you get confusing blockchains and blockchains. Yeah, 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 yeah. He said, well, no, that's where you come in. He said, we'll pay you, but will you, we, we want you to come in and talk to them. Um, I said, talk about what? I know nothing. Did you have an experience at that point? I said, I know nothing about the petrochemical industry. Yeah. yeah, but you were explaining how the technology can help. Right. Um, can you come and talk to them? And I'd done quite a lot. I had done quite a lot of research and a lot of reading, been to a lot of events over the previous sort of 18 months. And um, I said, yeah, look, I'm more than happy to come in. And I, I, I gave them a, 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 yeah, a sheet of paper, a bit like this, but on there, there were a number of blue lines. Now, I know you receive Digital Bytes, which actually is a publication we write every week talking about this topic. Um, and the blue lines are hyperlinks. So if we say, I don't know, Apple's the biggest company in the world, it's yeah. actually not, but if we did, it's because CNBC or Le Monde or Singapore Straight Times or the FT or mm-hmm. whoever have said that. So it gives more reading around the topic, but it's for verification. Um, because I'm personally regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland, um, being chairman of a fund administration platform out there, you just got to make sure that what you're saying is right and correct. And most of our lawyers, uh, most not lawyers, most of our clients are lawyers, accountants, mm-hmm. asset managers, banks. So we did this for this lawyer and they loved it. And, uh, and the client liked it because I said, look, you're the biggest one of the biggest retailers in the world. I, I know you make petrol or refine petrol, but actually you've got so many gas stations and petrol stations. And if you could just take 20% of your products in your in your gas stations and increase the price by, I don't know, 10%, mm-hmm. what would that do to your bottom line? And they were absolutely intrigued by by the concept of, of, of blockchain and what it could do. So is it the value add of blockchain in as much as it's sort of like provenance of data? Is that really where this all came in for you? 
for for that particular example, but if there's, I suppose if there's one little nugget I could leave with people today, and that is, um, first of all, blockchain is no more than an Excel spreadsheet on steroids. That's all it is. It's just a, it's just information that's held, but securely. So that's where the steroid bit comes from. It's just held securely. And the biggest attribute that um, blockchains can give you is transparency. And if you have more transparency, mm. you have more trust. If you have more trust, um, then you can build a much stronger compliance and risk controls. doesn't matter whether you're regulated or not. Every business is looking to minimize the amount of risk that they're taking. So it's about being able to verify that data. And that's the value add for your clients at that point. Yeah, essentially, it's it's that it's that knowledge and that verification and that transparency that it gives you, and that's led you to where you are now. And I, I, it sort of stems around Team Blockchain. I guess it's a media company. Is that it's a, it's really a research and publishing business, and, okay. it, and it's so what we're looking at: who, how, where, and why people are using blockchain and digital assets. Now, digital assets go from you know the hairy, scary you know crypto NFTs and all that sort of stuff. Um, right the way through to you know sovereign currencies, so you know, central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's you know people get very fixated on on crypto and and, and it's a bit like Marmot, they love it or hate it. Mm-hmm. It's a rounding error. It's one trillion. It's really nothing that impressive at all um, in terms of when you look at other assets. Now, what I mean by other assets, if you look at the um, the equity market, the equity market's about ninety trillion. The debt market's one hundred and ten trillion. The, according to PwC, the, the funds market will be $150 trillion, um, year after next. But the real estate market, according to Savills, is $326 trillion. So why would you want to focus on $1 trillion when you've got hundreds of trillions in asset classes that we all understand? And that most of the listeners, most of the um, viewers here already are exposed to. Because either renting a property or they own a property... They're being forced to save money in their pension, mm. so they've got money in funds. And they understand it, right? It's been around for a while. When I speak to my dad and when I started all of this, he was like, why are you? Why have you moved from being an intellectual property lawyer where you've got a good background in that and you get it? Why are you now doing all this blockchain stuff? It doesn't really make any sense. Why? Are you, is it? And I guess he said that because maybe there wasn't an understanding of what this is all about. Maybe he just thought that it was, oh, as you say, Bitcoin is to do with Silk Road and it's all scary. And actually, it's about the tech. And I guess that's where you've seen it. You've gone... I understand the tech and where this is going and how information can be verifiable and, and there's a value add to all these traditional markets. Absolutely. And I think it's it is about the tech, but you don't need to you don't need to understand the tech. You need to be able to use the tech. Yeah. And there's quite a difference there. So you you don't you know, I, I think the most important thing is that there is a very di- big difference between, if you like, how the tech is being used. Regulators and lawyers, you don't you don't well, regulators don't regulate tech. But what they do, they regulate the outcome of how the tech is being used. Mm. So that's what we've seen increase. So we're now seeing more and more institutions who are very much very active in this space. I mean, a lot of people say, yeah, but it doesn't affect me. So in Digital Bytes, every week we will write about fashion, agriculture, mm-hmm. insurance, banking, um, I don't know, the media industry, football, you know, because all of those. And, and if, you, if you're listening, thinking, well, I don't, I don't understand. Put in what you're interested in or the type of company. Put blockchain plus fashion, blockchain plus agriculture, blockchain plus I think that's Google News or, or go on as your, as your, just, your site, right? Put, no, put into Google and just see what comes up. And you're, I think you'll be very, very surprised at the brands, global brands that are engaged in the technology and the creation of, of, the, of these assets. So tell me about sort of the setting up of Digital Bytes and what it aims to achieve. Well... What it's not is a newsletter. 
Okay. So we don't take... Why, why have you made that specifically? Well, because there's there's lots of news being made. Yeah. There's lots of press releases and half the time a press release is there for one reason, to promote what they're trying to do. So there's no point I should regurgitating that, I don't know, this company or that company. So what we're more interested in doing mm-hmm. is... So one of your neighbours, I'm, I'm sure they're still here, is Aberdeen Asset Management. I think it's just across the road here. I've been here for a few months. Oh, well, well Aberdeen, Asset, <laughs> yeah. Aberdeen or Aber- Aberdeen, they so they bought Standard Life. Right. Um, they're about a 600 billion asset management company, f- fantastically successful. Um, and they have recently put money into a digital exchange here in London called Artrax. Okay. Um, and they are launching um, um, some of their funds in a digitized format. They think, so what? Well, why does that impact me? Mm-hmm. Well, um, there's a number of reasons it impacts you. First of all, at the moment, if you want to go and buy, um, I don't know, a fund from Jupiter or Schroders or M&G or anyone like that, you get one price once a day. The price is from the asset manager and you can deal at 12 o'clock or 2 o'clock or 4 o'clock or whatever it may be. And that's the way the industry works. Now, once you digitize the same fund, so you don't touch the underlying assets, all you're doing is doing something with a wrapper. So you're simply saying, now we're going to make this available in a digitized format. That means you can deal 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it means instead of the price coming from the asset manager, you got the price from four or five independent market makers. Now, from a regulator's point of view, what's better? One price once a day from someone who could be argued to have a vested interest because he's the asset manager, or 24 hour a day dealing, seven days a week, from independent market makers. It's a no-brainer. Now, on top, there's other 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 advantages but just that one little example in the asset management industry proves that you can actually now start doing things that you couldn't do before right and 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 in terms of how that interacts with digital bytes you said that you don't sort of offer press releases or or what do you call the public publications right yeah how does that how does that fit in or 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 how do you how does digital bytes sort of market itself what is the mission Okay, so it's not, it's not a, it's, it's, it's quite sometimes we what it isn't. It, it's not, it's not meant to be a newsletter yeah. and it's not meant to be a tip sheet. So we're not trying to give investment advice. What we're trying to do is say, okay, Aberdeen have just invested some money in a digital exchange. Mm. Why is that important? What could that lead to? What does that mean for, for, for Aberdeen, for that exchange, for the wider community? And so therefore we'll wait very often for news to come out, wait two or three weeks yeah. and see what other commentators, we don't have a monopoly on good ideas, so we'll see what other people say. Right. Well, now it seems, did you know this could happen? So let me give another example. Um, there's a lot of talk about stable coins. Yeah. So stable coins typically um, are a, a digitized form of making a payment backed by something. Now it could be backed by gold or it could be backed by a basket of cryptos in an algorithm, etc. Or it could be in its simplest form, backed by um, the US dollar. And the biggest stable coin out there at the moment is is Tether. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about 80 billion in size. Typically, there's about 30 to 40 billion a day being bought and sold. But the the price of Tether, the day before yesterday, was as low as um, 99 and as high as 101. So... I could make one and a half percent in a day by holding what is meant to be a stable coin. Now, alternatively, rather than having a stable coin, you could actually take Franklin Templeton's cash mutual fund. Now, cash mutual funds are you put your money into these cash funds whereby instead of cashing and holding your bank, you give it to a fund manager and they, they manage it like a like a cash account. Mm-hmm. Now Franklin Staple Franklin Templeton have actually got $1.4 trillion under management. And they've taken 
their cash mutual fund in the States and said, okay, we'll make that available now in a digital format. And they've actually now tracked over 330 million of funds. In Europe, there's 1 trillion euros in cash mutual funds. Here we have 51 billion in cash mutual funds. In the States, they've got 4 trillion because you get much better returns on your cash mutual fund mm. than you can on the bank. So if you take the cash mutual fund, you digitize it, and then stick in a Stripe, a PayPal, uh, a Visa, or a MasterCard, you can then spend money directly from your cash mutual fund. So you're bypassing the banks. Because I don't know about you, I have a bank with Lloyds Bank, and I think they pay me 1% on my deposit. I've been banking with them for 40 plus years. And they don't treat me any better. Yeah. Actually, they treat me worse. So if I had a cash mutual fund, I could get a much, much better return on my money, and I can make payments globally almost for free. So this is what I mean by, so when, I, when Franklin Templeton makes some news, like they did in January, mm -hmm. so what? That's what I mean by so what? Because uh, in the forex market, the, the cost of doing foreign exchange institutions, and London's the biggest FX market globally, it's about $120 billion in costs. And I'd say 90% of that cost could be taken out as we start to see the digitalization of cash. So when you, when you prepare this content, a new story comes out, as you've just said, right? You give it a few days, a few weeks or whatever, and then you're able to provide um, a reflection on what's happened. Who provides that opinion? Is it yourself? Do you have people on there who provide content for you? How does it work? Well, we've, we've, got, a, we've got a team, about five or six people, um, purposely based in um, Asia um, and, and Africa. Um, so we'll actually say, like, this is what's happening. These are some websites. This is some ideas. Come back. It's about a thousand words per article. And we put together... Um, three or four articles typically, um, and then that every week, every week, and then and that goes out to about twenty or thousand people in various different channels, and that's that's free. Um, and then we have organisations, um, and you're going to be one of those very shortly, Matt. I'm I'm going to get you eventually, and I'm just <laughs> wheeling you in. But we have companies like yours. We have a lot of lawyers that basically have a license yep. to actually then use the content. So it's for professionals, individuals. I mean, when you're... the content's for individuals, yep. but but the the, the, we have a number of asset managers, banks, lawyers, accountants, that then have a license to use the right. use the content. But then as license holders, if they want to, they can write a letter. So every week we have a guest. And the reason we like the guest is that we get, I don't know, a US diplomat or we get FedEx or we get, um, I don't know, we're all sorts of, or we get small startup companies mm -hmm. that will give their view on, you know, why they're using the technology or how they use it. If it's an advert, we don't accept it. Yeah. Because if I give you a guest and it's an advert... You're going to say, well, why do I want to advertise this to my clients? Because the idea is you use the content. If someone's giving you something thought-provoking or educational, it doesn't matter if I've written or a guest, you like it. And then we take that guest and we do something like you're doing here today. We do a podcast um, on a radio show which goes out to about 170 countries. And that's how we commercialize it, by having organizations, which means we, there's no advertising, there's no promotions, there's nothing, there's no sort of backhanders about it because yeah. it's, it's mainly regulated entities we're dealing with. So how do you get these guests in? Because you've got some really, really decent people. I mean, who are the types of people you get in and what sort of content are they putting out? Well, we're very fortunate because we've been doing it since 2018. So uh, this week's guest, Professor Sarah Green, who's um, head of the Law Commission for England and Wales for um, contracts. And she's written an article about, and this is really important. I know you'll understand it, but um, effectively giving some legal clarity around digital assets. Now, again, you're probably thinking, why do I care about digital assets? Well, 90 jurisdictions around the world use English common law as, as the basis of their law. And 80% of all global trade is carried out using English common law. 
So if we can define the asset and people are comfortable, whether it's a physical, intangible, or, or as the Law Commission is saying, a third way, then it gives some legal clarity. From the legal clarity, then the regulators can then come and play. Yeah, we've had a different approach, I think, from most of the world. And I think the UK generally has been criticised for not doing too much enough. But I wonder whether, like, I was going to come on to your opinions later, but let's do some of them now, right, whilst we're here. A lot of people have said we've had this sort of standoffish approach whereby we're sort of watching the world, seeing what happens, and then make a determination as to what we want to do. Do you think that's right? Um, well, fair. Well, okay, I think, I think let's look at broad regulation and mm. let's look at the, because there's a very marked difference between the US and the UK. Mm. Europe's a little bit more like the UK. In the US, you, if you're driving a car and there's a stop sign and you don't stop in the middle of the night, you will get a ticket, period. Because it's a law, you've broken a law, mm -hmm. therefore we're going to fine you. Um, and that sort of very rules-driven approach in, in financial services has, has basically... That's very much what happens on Wall Street. Yeah. Whereas, you know, here in the UK, it tends to be that's the law, that's the principles, that's the spirit. Because if you think what the city evolved, it didn't evolve out of laws and regulation. It evolved out of my word is my bond, out of a handshake in coffee shops. And, you know, I will pay you when you deliver me a, a shed load of nutmeg. And that was it. Shake your hand. I'll, but if I if I welch on the deal, yeah. then the old boy network, if you like, everyone knew everyone. So don't trust Johnny because he doesn't deliver. Mm. So the the idea of okay, you've now broken the rule or regulation. The regulator will still come down hard on you, but they will to an extent. There, there's a degree of latitude. There's a degree of okay, I can understand the mitigating circumstances almost behind it's it. Reading things purposefully. I mean, when you did this at law school, it was sort of a European idea to sort of have some some ideas and then you sort of read it as to what the purpose of that legislation or the purpose of that regulation was for and to some extent if the black letter law ends up pushing you in a certain direction you're supposed to read what it was supposed to be built for rather than where it pushed you into Absolutely. so maybe we're a little bit like that maybe the American very much so but but because of that mm. it's very difficult to have hard and fast rules when you can't define the asset so you, you'll be familiar with this husband and wife um go in get divorced wife's got a million of bitcoin husband mm -hmm. says i want half a million the judge going what's that What's Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. So I had to pop back to the law commission and basically said, well, well I don't know, Bitcoin. Then they got a whole lot of experts like you and other law firms. And they said, well, this is what Bitcoin is. It's a load of dots and zeros, but actually you could cash it in and get some money. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds to me like an asset. Right, okay, madam, you give half your Bitcoin to him. I know that's a very crude, basic example, but that's basically what, what, what. And so now we have a situation where the law commission said, we believe that actually digital assets um, have the same rights, obligations, and actually, there are certain digital assets which they're not they're not physical, i.e., you know, lumps of gold or a house. That they're, they're not intangible, um, like goodwill. I suppose is probably the best example. There's this third way, and yeah, that's what they're and they're they're recommending. There's obviously change in Parliament, but I think much more importantly, they have now given the green light to a judge. So if someone brings a case with a digital asset, and the judge says, "What's a digital asset?" Well, really already spoken to all the judges before they come out of the report and the judge will be able to say well the law commissioner said this i will now make a verdict we now have case law and nine times out of ten the judge will follow what the law commissioner said so we're going to get case law coming through i think fairly quickly which will define what the law commission or, or encourage or underline if you like confirm what the law commission say and now we've got law now that's english common law yep. case study which you know you're a lawyer i don't need to tell you all this the the rest well 80 percent of the world trade is based on well, the Law Commission said that 
they're going to base what definitions of digital assets are, number one, on something that isn't defined, but what it isn't, which is sort of a negative, it was interesting. But secondly, they said we're going to have it driven by common law on the basis that it already has been, and it's pushing the judges in the correct trajectory. And I think that's right. So I suppose... Look, I'm going to talk to the the, the um, Matt Kimber and Professor Sarah Green at some point um, uh, to do a podcast um, to try and get the answers. You should get, you should get Sarah, and she's fantastic. She really is great. We're going to talk about what's happened since, right? And I think the topic's essentially going to be common law's been doing really, really well, but we're going to have to adapt. And I think that they've sort of allowed this definition to be nice and open to ensure that it's not pigeonholed in a certain way. But my sense is that there are enough definitions that, you know, digital assets are property and that it could be treated as property at common law already, which is great, but we just need to see where that goes. So in, I suppose coming back to the original question, which was, do you think that we're sort of standoffish and we've done the right thing? Maybe the answer is we have, but we haven't done it by a strict regulation. We've done it at a much softer approach. We've gone to the law commission. We said it's a more considered approach. I think. I think we've looked at it in the round. Mm. Um, you know, do we need to regulate microphones or bits of paper or cameras or? Glass? Do you think it's just less crude the way we've done it? We've gone to. So, for instance, another jurisdiction may not have an equivalent of the law commission, and they may not be able to make these reports. It may just be that certain jurisdiction go, okay, well, we need some regulation. Uh, okay, and then just put a line in the sand. Whilst we have in this jurisdiction the capability to produce these reports and can consider things carefully. I think. The, the reason English law is so widely adopted and followed mm. is because it's very considered, very measured. It's mm. not knee-jerk. And, and we have you know, centuries of case law and mm. uh, and uh, examples of how that has got to where we've got to. A lot of people get frustrated about regulation, for example. Mm -hmm. The reason we have so many regulations in this country is because scallywags keep doing naughty things and we have to, oh, we now have got to stop that action. Oh, we've got to stop that action. And so therefore the rule book gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So... You know, I, we can't turn our back on that. These are there to protect investors and protect the confidence in the financial markets and the systems. But, but the other thing I don't want to focus on, this isn't just about um, financial services. You know, the, the definition of assets is going to help enormously because we're also running through Parliament. We have um, the Bill of um, di Digital Bills, which are basically documentation for um, global trade. Um, and according to Mackenzie, that, that could add an extra $60 billion, um, of, of of value to world trade. And... You know, there's 25 billion bits of paperwork which are produced to be all around the world to ship containers mm -hmm. all, all around the place. You know, to take a container from Asia to, to America or to Europe, there's probably about 27 different entities get involved. If you digitize the documentation, you know, the biggest ship in the world has currently been just, just launched last last couple of weeks. 24,000 containers, 20-foot containers have got. Now, if you're the skipper on that boat and say, well, where's container number 244? It's somewhere. It's got a whole lot of Kawasaki's in it. Where's it gone? Come on, you can't do that because mm. these boats only make money when they're moving through the water to deliver yep. and collect goods. So they need super, super fast turnaround. And that's one thing that COVID taught us. Um, we do some work with a company called Two Tokens in um, Amsterdam, and they've been working with the port of Rotterdam because they had boats coming from Rotterdam or, or, or Singapore, and they couldn't fly the documents, which is what they used to do, and the boats were there sitting there because of COVID. And they said, well, this is mad. But then it's no more mad than 60% of asset managers still use faxes to confirm deals. Now, you don't, you've never used a fax, have you, Matt? I remember back in the day, I used to go, <laughs> I used to see my dad in his office in uh, Africa House, 
when I was a kid, and I just remember playing with all. I mean, used to peel the sides of the fax machine paper off. That was yeah. really good fun. Well, so if you're going to have artificial intelligence, like J.P. Morgan are building a bot to manage mm-hmm. money, um, and you've got a lot of it as a lawyer, because I, you lawyers have got, you know, look at your beautiful offices here. So J.P. Morgan managing your money. Well, if you've got say five funds, mm-hmm. and one of them is digitized, or let's say three are digitized but the other two are relying on PDFs and bits of paper and filing cabinets. Mm. It can't do the work on those two funds. It can only analyze these funds in terms of looking at risk analysis and appropriateness mm. and then buying or selling them. And so what's happening is AI is driving more and more information and data to be digitized. And that brings up the whole thing like of loyalty points, mm-hmm. of your healthcare data, of your car driving habits, of your spending habits. And all of those have been monetized by the fangs, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, et cetera, et cetera. But going forward, you're going to be able to digitize your information and therefore monetize your information. Do you think that's why, and just sort of going back to the Law Commission point that we were talking about, that's why they've left it so open to, to ensure Precisely. That all of these things can be captured by this third category and can be considered a common law? Absolutely. Because we don't, we, don't, we, we don't know the questions, let alone the answers right now, of what will happen. But if you look at, you know, in, in Dubai, it's a classic example. If you go and have an operation in Dubai, mm-hmm. it's all loaded onto a blockchain and you can see the performance success of your operation of the hospital, of the surgeon, the anaesthetist, the nurses. You can go and check up all of their, you know, their CPD, how updated with their training, you know, letters of complaint, all that sort of, all that is transparent on a blockchain. So this is an, an example of how this information is helping you to actually look after your own information. Nothing to do with finances. And so we're seeing more and more examples. Or if you now jump into the metaverse, so you've got fashion companies that are selling handbags, digital handbags, for more than the actual real handbags. Who is buying them, though? I don't know the answer to that because uh, we're going massively off topic here, but I, I just, whilst I've got you here, people talk about the metaverse a lot and digital assets within and buying NFTs. And fa- Who's doing this? Because there seems to be a lot of investment into it. But I don't know necessarily many people who spend a lot of time in there. I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you'll tell me that you're always in there. No, it's well, okay. Look, at, I wouldn't bet against people like Microsoft, um, Meta, formerly Facebook, um, people like um, Citibank, who reckon the metaverse is going to be worth 13 trillion. So 13 trillion, just to put some context, is twice more than twice the size of the third biggest economy in the world, i.e., Japan. So metaverse, most people think, is about gaming. Well, that's how it's, I think, from my perspective, how that's how we're going to get into it. Well, I, no, I think you're going to get into it. I think the law firms will be using it, you know, in, within a couple of years for training. You've been doing a lot of training for your trainees today, and, and they've had to be shipped all over the place. Well, um, Accenture, now the last 150,000 people, have actually done all the training in the metaverse. Because, okay, so Johnny, you're now in the Paris office. What we can do, we can, bang, we can take you down to Bordeaux, on with the glasses, and you're going to see, here are our clients, in some vineyards. Now, now we're going to take you into the Pacific um, yeah, mobile. This is an oil rig and this is what they're doing. So it's a much more immersive technology. So therefore, it's going to become something much, much more valuable. And then when you're in that environment, if you then want to start trading information or yeah. goods or whatever you want to do, you can do that. So education and healthcare in particular, I think, will be massive in the metaverse. Wouldn't that not be a bit sad, though? Because I, I see it as gaming, right? That's, that's how I envisage it. Would it not be as sad if it's just an upgrade to Teams during COVID where you're sitting there and it's just another way to communicate with your co-workers? All of a sudden, then you're in the Dubai office or the whatever office when we could have been spending our time gaming in there. It just seems like it's it's sort of 
Yeah, but you shouldn't be gaming when you're in the office. No, I'm not. Come on, yeah, this is a bit of a confession. This is flipping, heck. What I'm saying is that the metaverse to me was, is sort of designed to be a fun place for interactions like gaming. You're saying that the segue may actually be that it's sort of a way for people in the corporate world to interact with each other. Very Maybe much. that's how very, very much into this. Yeah, it was, I think the, it, it, the metaverse is obvious as a gaming thing because of virtual worlds. Yeah. And um, uh, to be fair, I'm a little bit older than you. My, my kids used to spend hours and hours and hours on something called Sims building roller coasters and shopping malls and things yeah. like that. And it's, it's well, probably even the floppy disk has been now thrown away. But if you were new into this, you, you'd happily pay 50 euros, dollars, yen for, mm-hmm. for my daughter's probably hundreds of hours of gaming because you could leapfrog all that hard work mm-hmm. and so you've got your own mall and your own roller coaster already built because she's actually spent hours doing it. So I, you can a lot of your time and effort in a gaming can now be rewarded because you can... You can pay for that. You can pay for extra strong shield or sword. Well, I get that. I mean, people buy skins. The term is skins, right? You buy skins and all of yeah. a character is flaming and or a certain color. I get that. But that's why it was so easy to do it in gaming. Yeah. Because it was, it was there already. It, it, people were playing online and they could see it. But but again, go go back to the, the health and medical. And, you know, you've got a very eminent sort of eye surgeon sitting in New York. He can effectively go in with a pair of virtual glasses and he can help train and he can actually guide um, another surgeon in, in Africa or Asia or, or Europe and, and actually talk in that virtual a combination of the augmented and the, the real and the virtual world. And once you're there, then it's just a small. So another good example with COVID, um, 10% of the world of the UK population has a needle phobia. So you go in and say, I'm sorry, I, I just can't have a needle inside me. No problem at all. What are you into? I love, I love skiing. Great. Tell you what, pop these on. We're going to take you into the metaverse and we're, we're going to go skiing. Um, and then halfway through the skiing exercise, unfortunately, someone falls over. Um, and I said, well, don't worry, we can sort it all out. Give you a quick injection. You're up and on your way. 90% of people, once they've seen the actual video or, or that immersive experience, were more than happy to then have the injection. Another example in Wales, um, they were super worried about the stress levels of the and NHS staff because they were just really sick and poorly mm. and, and blood pressure. It was, you know, really wasn't very, yeah. very good at all. So they said, okay, so what we're going to do, what are you into? Well, I, I really like horse riding or I really like whatever you like. Okay, so we're going to force you in a work environment to go into a quiet room and get into a metaverse, into a virtual world of the thing that you're into. And then they tracked the blood pressure and they tracked their temperature and their heart rates and other measures of stress and saw a demonstrable reduction in stress levels, um, which the main thing was less sickness. So my fundamental question, who is in the metaverse right now or who's dealing with it? The answer is potentially not as many people as we thought at this stage. However, it's going to grow exponentially due to different industries. Absolutely. I, th- I think we're going to see more and more use cases. And there's a moment, there's a bit of a snobbishness. Oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't do gaming and I'm not doing that. But, but let, let me give another uh, uh, unusual fact then. Um, Something like 27% of Japanese males between 18 and 28 have a virtual girlfriend. Okay. You're struggling in that one, aren't you? Uh, Very woke world that we live in. I am interested to learn more. Well, perhaps you need to... There was a song <laughs> turning Japanese, I think so. But but the thing is, okay, no, but but, but the reason I, I put you on the spot there is you're sitting there thinking, what? It's an outcome. But it seems like it could happen. It's just that it's a strange fact for you to have just 
no, right? Like, is is this something that is like well known, well broadcast? That's that's the key to what we're trying to do in Digital Bytes. We're trying to find strange facts that you'll remember and say, ah, okay, so different cultures, different industries mm-hmm. have different experiences. What can I learn from that? It's not a judgment. It's not to say that that you know that should be the case for every other country, mm-hmm. but it's trying to say. Um, I don't know. What, another good example. We all know what quarantine is. Mm. We know where it came from. Well, quarantine was an Italian word, quarantino, for forty days, and basically they they worked out when the when the Black Plague came down through yeah. for, out of France. People in those days did have like a medical certificate, and if you didn't have the right medical certificate, you weren't allowed into um, Italy. And in certain Italian cities, they they had no quarantino, and the death rate was something like sixty five percent in mm. at an extreme. In other cities, they would say, okay, well, you've got a certificate coming. You're now going to go for 40 days, 40 nights into this accommodation. You had a big queue and there was a man with it. And you Google it. It's going to a big, long beak and a big steak. Yeah. He, it was, it was, he had um, herbs. I picture it. I remember all the, yeah, the long... Yeah, but he had herbs and lavenders to climb, yeah. in theory, like a mask. Yeah. And they came around for 40 days, 40 nights. They sent you wine and they sent you food. And you were quarantined. They think, well, oh, okay. But that had a very big impact, and we were quarantining people during during COVID. You know, one of the oldest forms of money are called rye stones, R-A-I. Are those, those huge ones with the squares in the middle? Yeah, those, yeah. No, no, not squares. But and they're the little squares in the middle. They circle on the outside. They had yeah, circles so they could put a, a lump of wood in right. so they could then carry them around. These things were limestone, and they were quarried 300 miles away mm. in the Pacific, and then they rode them, sailed them to... Um, an island, um, and they and they were then a form of credit. And what they did, the measurement was your little finger and your thumb. And I earned m- that much, and that much was a, a large pig in a big canoe. And these rye stones, now the rye stone was sitting outside your house, mm. but people had come along and carved it all up and given you that much for each one of your bits and bobs that you had and you traded it for food. And it, it didn't move. It, they knew, everyone knew that it wasn't your rye stone anymore. It was a, it's a ledger, right? It was, it was just a ledger. But the, the size of these rye stones were based on how hard it was to create them. Mm. So it was proof of work. So it was really hard to make a big one, really easy to make another one. Mm-hmm. So the concept of Bitcoin, proof of work, kind of has its origins back in the Pacific Islanders. So nothing's new. I suppose that's really what I'm trying to get. Mm-hmm. And by using history, it's very, very. It's a very good um, lesson for what may where we are now and what may be coming forward. So we try and look for little examples like that to, to make it a bit more memorable. But to so, tap into people's intrigue rather than necessarily regurgitating stories that, that, that you... A press release which someone, you know there's a PR spin, someone's trying to get some... Mm. You know, we're trying, that, that's, that's what we're trying. And we don't always get it right, but that, that's what we're aiming to do. I think you are probably one of the most knowledgeable people that I've had on this and probably therefore one of my favourites. Who might one of your favourite guests be on your podcast? Oh, me. Yourself. <laughs> I don't doubt us. That's true. I don't doubt. Um, I must admit, I, I, I really enjoyed talking to Professor Geek yesterday because Sarah was a geek. She was a, she was a programmer. Did you tell her that? Did you call her that when she... Yeah. Yeah. yeah Professor Geek with a spanner in the in the drawing room, I think it was. She's a very eminent lawyer, obviously. And uh, you guys talk about so much. I mean, there's there's I, I sort of had a look at the the website, the podcast, and there were so many different topics. There was There was one... Said uh, it was a quote. I think I've got it written down here. The co-founder of Tokeny that delves into the standard ERC three six four three's history and development. There was another one about introducing the Commissioner for Digital Money, safeguarding privacy rights in the age of programmable money. I mean, 
Some of it's technical, Matt. A huge amount, there's a huge array of stuff that you're putting out, whether it's super technical, whether it's to someone who is less technical. I mean, how do you, how do you sort of manage all that? Because there's a lot of different audiences there, a lot of different content there. Well, we're, we're trying to look for different things all the time. Um, we're trying to, we, we also like to have people, so we had FedEx on last year um, and the head of um, blockchain development of FedEx, um, yeah. Dale Christie, He's been working with the U.S. government and with DHL and mm. um, the like, and he basically wrote an article that the nine myths of blockchain, and basically we can't get it to work. We've spent millions on it. You'd have thought they would have done so. That's quite interesting, and that's the point you're making. And that's something different. Something different. And what we're trying, we're not, uh, you know, we're not evangelical about this. You know, I remember back in 2016, 17, yeah. people literally would stand up. It was like being in a gospel church, and they go, "Hallelujah to." blockchain or smart contracts and i quite like that though there is a chance oh, i like no i don't it just it's come on it's naff it's not a new paradigm it's look i spend a lot of time on twitter then i don't drive me mad <laughs> but but the thing is is that look blockchain isn't it, it it's got its roots in napster yeah. file sharing back in the 70s yeah. so this isn't a new technology yeah. and and again i suppose having been regulated i would rather stand back and and, and not get sucked into the hype mm. and, and look at how does it impact you your business and where, how do we position ourselves? Not from which should I invest in, but what, what, what is, what is it going to do to us? What, why should I care? And, and that's, and, and bear in mind, most of the, the idea is, is that the people have a license to use it. They then take it. Um, so we had a really good example, very, very firm of lawyers, um, something called ISDA agreements. So these are um, governing derivatives, which argue is the biggest asset class. In the world. And we were trying to have smart contracts um, are actually going to be very useful um, for ISDA agreements. So and a smart contract, all it is is a flowchart. If this happens, that happens. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. So if it's going to rain, I need an umbrella. Um, if it doesn't rain, I don't need an umbrella. So that's what a smart contract really does. And the Law Commission now come and say, yes, they are legally enforceable now. So that's that's already good. So we wrote about smart contracts. The, the, this firm of lawyers put it on their e-learning webpage. The FT got hold of, hold of it and said, um, phone up the lawyers. Oh, this is really interesting. We, we're writing an article about smart contracts. Um, we're looking for a couple of examples of companies that are doing it. Now, we'd written, I don't know, let's say a thousand words, and the last 300 words were examples of three companies that were doing writing smart contract disagreements. Well, they weren't clients of the of the lawyer, so the lawyer took them out. So the lawyer said, oh, can we have those three companies back? So he said, sure, here they are. And the FT did a, a big puff piece about this law firm is well ahead of its competitors, talking about smart contracts. So we don't want the acknowledgement, praise, and that's it's not an ego trip for us. It's simply to say, look, if we can share information and show you some ideas and make it a bit more interesting and memorable, then you can give it to your clients and then it helps your... So I'm not interested in you as Matt, you and your law firm. I'm interested in you sharing with your clients so you have a strong relationship. So when it comes back to renewal time, you say, of course I'm going to renew because yeah, I had a real value. And it had real value. But yeah. yeah. So, so that's kind of... And that's just a function of being in business for 40 years and looking who adds value to my business. So I think some of the... The people who end, are going to end up sort of reading this are going to find probably value in some use cases for blockchain generally. Are there any standout uses for blockchain either that you see now or in the future that are really going to take off? Um, well, I think central bank digital currencies um, are almost definitely going to be much bigger than people believe and happen a lot faster. How do you feel about them? Um, it's just another form of payment. I, I you know, I, I don't, 
a lot of people are very worried about the privacy, saying, well, that means someone can see what I'm spending on who and how and what. And, and it's what. programmable, right? I mean, I, I, I ask people this when I, in, in recent times, I've sat down with, with um, a variety of guests and asked them similar questions about CBDCs and how they feel about them. And there have been some guests who sort of thrown their arms up in the air and said, really worried about them. Programmable money and sort of social credit. And it, there is a sense of unnecessary control. You don't share those. I don't. I don't look, at the, at the, if... Just try going into your bank tomorrow mm -hmm. and withdraw more than five thousand pounds. I don't think you can withdraw more than yeah. Do you know? Do you know it's illegal if you're a Spanish or a French citizen to spend more than a thousand euros in cash. Do you know who I learned that off the other illegal. day? Who? Yeah, you told me that. At, <laughs> told me that. At Did the I? Thing. Yeah, you said it on stage. Good one. It's just. It's just incredible. Yeah. So, and you know, look at look at the Canadian truck drivers. Yeah. You know, they haven't got programmable money. Well, they have. Do you think then that? You're not saying that CBDCs are bad, but to some extent, what you may be saying is we've already got programmable money, or at least we've already got limitations on the freedom of our, of our money. So CBDCs aren't that bad. Is that what you're saying? Well, okay. So let, I, suppose, I, suppose, I suppose you need to back up. I do not believe we're going to see CBDCs in any significant use for retail investors. Okay. Why? Simply because it'll utterly annihilate um, banking systems because we work on fractional banking. And for more on fractional banking, that's another episode for yep. one of your banking clients. But but take it from me, we cannot, because why would I put my money with Lloyd's when I can go straight to the old lady at Threadneedle Street mm -hmm. where there's no credit risk and all the rest of it? So so we're not going to see it at a retail level on, ma on a mass basis, but at a, at a wholesale level, we're already seeing. And there's something called the repo market, which I, I know you'll be familiar with. Uh, and there's a company that's trading $2 trillion a month already using blockchain technology. So the scale, the speed is not a problem. We, you know, two of the companies are probably one of the two best known companies in the world in the financial service sector, mm -hmm. Visa and MasterCard. The average profit ratio, profit margin on the S&P 500 is 10.2%. Visa and MasterCard is somewhere between 52 and 62%. So they have a monopoly over movements of monies. And we've got companies, and we're very lucky in the UK, because we've got a whole load of fintech businesses. You know, the Tides, the Monzos, the Revoluts, mm. the, you know, Stripes and all that stuff. Did you want to break the monopoly of Visa and MasterCard? Is that, is that part of it? Is that it's, feeling? It's not that I want to break it. It's not what I want. It's, I think it's a good idea to have choice. Okay. And therefore, you know, I don't use checks anymore. In America, they very, they don't, I don't think they have standing orders or direct debits. Everything's written by check. It's weird sometimes you guys love to sign for stuff. We've had tip Whereas in for how long? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the the whole that whole sort of near near payment came out of American football stadiums because people didn't want to queue up, so they got near five pay and go go to the you know the vending machine and they could put their phone and pay or the credit card and pay for it. But so you know the the, the cost of transactions you'll find it America. You know, I just quote America as a so called sophisticated mm -hmm. country. You're seeing signs in restaurants saying we'll give you a five ten cent discount for cash. It's not because they're doing money laundering. It's because the interconnector fees and the and the credit card fees are roughly five to ten percent. So, do you think the CBDCs will do away with that, or at least give people the option to do away with it? I, no, I don't think CBDCs will, because you won't be using it at a retail level. But what CBDCs will will allow the banks to actually make transfers um, much, much quicker, much, much safer, peer to peer. So, at the moment, most of the most of the, most of the bank into bank money is moved around using something called CLS, um, and the messaging I Barclays owns. Harry Bauer and Parry Bauer owns HSBC. That's all run through a company called Swift. Um, and Swift have already come out and said, we can handle any digital asset 
oh, sorry, any central bank digital currency or any other digital asset on our system. So SWIFT could effectively take out CLS. Well, meanwhile, we've got a company called, funny little company called HSBC, and they've developed something called FX Everywhere. And that is faster and cheaper than CLS. And now Wells Fargo using it. So at a wholesale level, but at a retail level, I come back to, I think we're going to see lots and lots of stable coins. I just hope we don't go back to the 1860s in America where there were 5,000 different issuers of US dollars. It was chaos. I thought that's what Mika was for. I suppose it's not in this jurisdiction anymore, but it's just to sort of regulate the idea of stable coins to make sure that we don't go back to those days, right? Yeah, but, but it all got kicked off courtesy of Mr. Zuckerberg. Facebook, Meta. What did he want to do? What was it called? Libra. Libra, that was Libra. it. Libra. Great idea. Because it wasn't based on the US dollar. It was based on a basket of currencies. So I suppose the final little history lesson I'd perhaps like to leave with you, Max, we've been yakking on for far too long. But what's the world reserve currency at the moment? I used to say that it was the London housing market, but it's not so much anymore. But what is it? It's supposed to be the dollar. Okay. And what was before the dollar? Before the dollar, it's probably gold. Nope. Pound sterling. Okay. And what was before pound sterling? Come on, you know your history. Well, let's, let's do it. French franc. Okay. And what was before the French franc? Go on. Spanish peseta. And what was before the Spanish peseta? The Portuguese real. Now, I've just sent back to 1456. Mm-hmm. Those currencies last on average for about 94 years. So the US dollar has been existing for about 106 years. So the US dollar's time has come. So it's actually sort of gone beyond what... Past its sell-by date. So what's the next one going to be? Right. I don't think it'll be the, the Chinese currency. It won't be yeah, yen. Well, you got uh, there was something recently. It was like all the uh, it was either Kenyan diplomats or it was some, some uh, group in Africa just saying like we're done with the dollar. We don't need this anymore. Well, the BRICS, you know, Brazil, India, mm-hmm. Russia, you know, China, you know, South Africa. They're all saying no, no, no. We we will want to start trading in our own currency in some shape or form. So what we're going to see the U.S. dollar. You know, will will is is already declining in terms of it, its use. Um, foreign um, central banks are not holding as many US dollars. So, what's going to replace it? See, some people might say Bitcoin's going to replace it. You're not feeling the same way. I, d- I don't think so. All I would suggest is that whatever replace it will be digital. Mm-hmm. The logical thing for me is you have a basket of equities, debt instruments, real estate, and commodities. And, and that's what it's backed by. So it can't be manipulated. Why couldn't it be manipulated? Well, because the value is what the value is. If you've got a basket, a global basket, so, so I don't know, the US equity market is 5% of that basket. Um, and, you know, London is 1% and, and gold is a half percent. And you build up your basket. But whatever it is, I, I honestly believe it'll be digital. But would that not then be, or maybe you're envisaging a global currency? We're going to have to have a global currency to replace the dollar. Yes, that's the, I believe that's going to happen. Or we just go back to our very fragmented, and you know people will 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 not want to deal with the U.S. currency because if you look at the, you know, it's just come to its. So this is why some of the bigger picture stuff is really important because this is going to impact your life at big style. I just don't know when we're going to get the answers to this. I think maybe this jurisdiction at least is we're getting there and it's nice and slow. We're sort of plodding along a little bit, but we're making, as we said at the start of this conversation careful consideration as to how we play it. I wonder what the catalyst is going to be, because if everyone in the world is going to be involved, and there's going to be a catalyst that sort of shocks everyone to come together to figure this out. Well, it's, it's, but it's already happening. You know, arguably the catalyst was the invasion of Ukraine. Okay. Because the Chinese term said, oh my goodness, you can turn SWIFT off 
that's not good. Mm. So they've come out with their digital currency. And who knows, they're going to turn around and all the different Belt and Road initiatives they've got in all the different countries for the ports and airports and stations and road tolls and all that, you can only pay using the digital one. That would be an obvious one. That'd be an obvious one. So now they've now um, got involved with something called Project Embridge, whereby it's, it's, a, it's a, a selection of Asian countries because China's quite, int- China's quite interesting because they, they, they are now putting more effort behind Project Embridge. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is they did, did have the digital one but it's illegal for, you know, your company to pay my company. You're not allowed to. It has to go through a third party. And they've created this digital one, and they're now saying, ah, we need to redefine what money is. It's this because we're not. You're not allowed to do that. But the whole idea of this digital thing is that we can do it. Well, there's supposed to be freedom in, in the movement of these. Okay. Yeah, but so 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 even a country, you know, Japan, they're saying, oh, hang on, this isn't this isn't what we intended. So let's look at a different project. Mm-hmm. Now. So so no. And the reason I say that is. People say, oh, you're an expert, Johnny. I am not an expert. I just haven't spent 20 hours and have done so for the last six years looking at this and trying to figure it out and say, well, what what impact will that have? How does that work? Um, where is it likely to lead? And and, and that's and that's kind of what we do. Um, and alongside that, you get involved in different projects. And it's it's fascinating. And one of the projects is digitizing the land registry. And, and that needs to be done. That and passports really needs to be done. Absolutely. I don't know. I don't know why that's not being uh, expedited. Seems it seems really obvious. Um, we've had loads of topics covered. To be fair, we, this is the most I've ever gone off on a tangent. So thanks for that, Johnny. I appreciate that. Let's let's see if we can sort of put it back a little bit. There were some questions I had, and I've got one here. It says uh, the Royal Assent of the Financial uh, Service Markets Act, right? Which which was which was recent. It says it seeks to regulate those dealing with crypto assets. My understanding is that trading in cryptocurrency will be a regulated activity. Right, and I've got a. Uh, well, first of all, I said, can you tell us what a regulated activity is? And then I've put down on my notes. It says the uh, economic secretary to the Treasury, Andrew Griffiths, said, and I quote: "2023 is proving to be a banner year for reforming our financial services. This landmark piece of legislation gives us control of a financial services rulebook, so it supports UK businesses and consumers and drives growth." So, number one, uh, it was about. Um, uh, regulated activities and number two do you agree with that quote do you think that's fair or do you think that's just politicking um different assets for a variety of reasons are deemed to be regulated mm-hmm. okay um it is rather odd that cash is not regulated so i can manage your bank account and i can switch your cash between different currencies and i don't need to be regulated most people don't realize that well, if I gave you a bag of money, not regulated, obviously. It's not regulated. But if you gave me access to your bank account and said, Johnny, all you can do, you can move between, I don't know, you're with Barclays. Mm-hmm. And um, Barclays can offer to go from the from st- sterling into the dollars, into the yen, into the euro, Swiss franc. I'll give you authority to manage my money. Don't need to be regulated. If, if I want to manage property, don't need to be regulated. Mm-hmm. So there are certain assets, for whatever reason, have been deemed that you don't need to be regulated. As soon as you pull them and create this thing called a collective investment scheme, that then needs to be regulated and you need to be regulated to be able to do that. So it, it, there's no, again, there's no hard and fast rule just because you are dealing with an asset. You know, pictures, again, don't need to be regulated per se, but you do need to make sure you carry out KYC and AML. You know, the same with wine, the same with cars. So you, you, you don't think you're regulated, but you maybe are regulated. That makes sense. So that's the joys of regulation. Do you think that 
dealing with crypto assets does need to be regulated. And I, I, bearing in mind, it was the I think it was the UK Parliament put out a paper recently that it was all gambling, or at least they thought it was. You know, we're getting a very different idea of how we're supposed to be treating crypto assets. One minute it's going to be regulated, then it's like gambling, and then it is property, but it might not be. I mean, are we not in a position where we're really confused, or or at least getting mixed messages? Well, uh, the trouble is, is that the regulators and the, the parliamentarians are, are are frightfully confused. Look, the only reason we're talking about cryptocurrencies now, well, there's two reasons. Fear of missing out or greed. Because you've got things like Ripple, XRP, went up 38,000% in one year. Wish I'd put £1,000 into that. You and I wouldn't be sitting here today. That's the reality. Mm. Ditto Bitcoin. Ditto Ethereum. So people are saying, oh my goodness... You know, I I could do this. I'm looking for the next meme coin that's gonna. You know, we had um, Peppy coin the other yeah, day. Shot up to whatever. We, yeah. You know, I, there was an example. Some guy put two hundred fifty dollars into it and cashed out millions and still got millions into it. And people are driven by. You know, I've never bought a lottery ticket. I think it's a tax on the poor. I, Odds, I won the Euro Millions today. I got an email. I woke up this morning. Won five pounds. What are you missing out? There you go. Five pounds. There you go. How much did you spend to get your five quid? Let's move on. But but the odds are 14 million to one. So why would you encourage the, the population, the poorest people in our society to go and gamble? And that's what they've done. So I, I think the obsession around cryptocurrencies needs to be seen. What I said earlier on, it's a trillion dollar market. Um, in the asset management industry, people don't buy smaller companies. Institutions don't. Mm. They buy funds that invest in smaller companies because smaller companies are illiquid, under-researched and a specialist area. But it's been proven by the London School of Economics, time and time again, you ought to have 3 to 5% of your money in smaller companies because it improves your Sharpe ratio. I, you get, you know, you, if that's a risk and return, it basically what it does is say, okay, well, I can actually go that way. I can get better returns for less risk. And then it goes back like that by having, so the same with crypto com, com, look, cryptocurrencies. Do you think then that... No, but hang on. So therefore you need to get your exposure through funds. And we're seeing hundreds and hundreds of funds being launched. It's much safer to say, okay, I'm going to put three, five percent of my money in a fund. In theory, someone professionally looking after managing it. Because it's a collective investment scheme, it's going to have to be regulated. Now I can focus on where my other 95 percent of my money is. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting figure. If you look at high net worth investors, they have about five percent of the money in alternative investments. If you look at ultra high net worth investors, this is according to Boston Consulting Group, Goldman's, and um, Knight Frank. They've done these studies saying they have 43% in alternative investments. So they're holding hedge funds, private equity funds, VC funds, art, um, cars, wine, second properties. Now, mere mortals like us, we can't get access to that. But once you digitize those, then you've got millions of people are able to come into this market and get exposure to markets and investments, which have proved to be really, really good. You're talking about tokenizing assets to almost fractional levels where people can buy equity via tokens in these real world goods is that is that what you're talking absolutely about? like kkr that manages nearly 600 billion of private um of private equity funds they've digitized um their four and a half billion private equity strategic health fund number number two do you think that those sort of tokens need to be regulated they are regulated right they are regulated well some of them will fall under the specified investments already but if we're talking about like i don't know tokens that may have rights tantamount to Specific, uh, specified uh, investments. Well, that's, we don't necessarily know where that line is at this stage. Well, and that's back to your point. Why I think we need to have a, a, a flexibility in the law to do that. You know, where where 
at the moment there's a real grey area is, is the tokenization as I mentioned earlier of your healthcare information or of your, your driving habits and you know we work with one company called Minima and they're working with a huge Chinese company that owns Volvo we'll also get their name and they've got a whole load of IoT devices so when your car's coming to me it says oh Johnny's car um, there's a tree on the road or there's a cyclist or there's a pothole or in you know the, the traffic light's not working I'm not told as a driver this is all ready for driverless cars so they're talking to each other now that's information which actually they could sell that information to Jaguar who are devising cars or to Honda or whatever and that inform- that's worth something that that data is worth something now if it's your data you want to monetize that and you will be able to monetize it and this is the exciting thing it's going to open up a, a whole area and, and the and the desperate scramble for data because of AI will mean that you'll be able to have data which you can monetize you'll be able to get your dividends your coupons your rent instead of having to wait every 6 months you'll get it monthly well, the idea, I think, of having this information in, in to use the term Web3 is that you are able to own it without a third party in the way, right? So you're saying that if you're able to own your creative output, your data, whatever it may be, then you, as you say, you're able to sell it or license it to maybe some big companies who are able to exploit it. Yeah, but but what, what you're selling, that token, that digitized thing, I, it's difficult, you know, NFT always is a digital certificate. Mm-hmm. If you buy a brand new Lamborghini, well, if when the, the last thank when, you, I when, that. When, when, when when you bought it last, yeah, 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 go with nice. your collection, you will be given a car with some keys, possibly, and an NFT. And on the NFT, it will have a record of the gearbox number, chassis number, engine. Mm-hmm. If you haven't got that NFT, the Lamborghini is not worth as much. That's your proof of authenticity. So when you bought your last last Lamborghini, did it yeah. come with an NFT? No, because I bought a Matchbox one. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, I want to move on a little bit, purely because we spoke about it a little bit earlier. You won the Crypto AM Influence of the Year 2022. Did you expect to win, and how did it make you feel? Um, I didn't even know I was nominated <laughs> until I had two people phone me up, and I thought they were winding me up. Um, it's a great thing. Why not? I mean, you well, not, well, you run your own, I would say, media company. You put some original content out there. I was very, I was very, very, I was very, very touched. You know, generally, you know, we make light of some of the stuff we're doing and try and have a laugh because mm. life's too short not to. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's to put this thing together every week is is twenty hours of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's and the only reason I can remember all these silly things is when you were revising to be a lawyer, mm. you didn't just read the book; you wrote it down, you wrote it down, and if you're writing it, you remember it, so you can remember. It these. got in there somehow. All of that stuff. So, so, I so that's it. So I was I was very touched that you know other people in the industry put their hand up and said, "Well, we think that you know the guy knows kind of what he's talking about, and mm. you know got recognition." Of course, you. Yeah, I, I was very yeah, I was very I was very pleased. And I'm very proud for the rest of the, my team that I work with because it's not just me. It's you know, you know, it's you know, I'm horribly dyslexic. So, you know, my, my, my partner, she uh, she actually proofreads the whole thing and makes sure the typo and the grammar and all the rest of it because it's it's not designed for techies. It's not designed for experts like you. It's designed for your dad. That's what it's designed for. So I very often get my mum to read it. It's 80, 88, 89. And she says, oh, no, I can understand what you're talking about there. That, that's, that's a great sense. test. That's a great yeah, test. The mum test. Mum test. <laughs> Good old mum. Wave for mum. <laughs> Uh, let's turn to, and no pun intended, but let's turn to turn. Uh, we understand you're a Ned, right? And a good place to start is the T-I-S-A. Did we say that or did we say teaser? Teaser. Teaser, right? Which describes itself as a non-for-profit membership organization and a trusted partner of key industry stakeholders in helping shape the future of the UK financial services and the environment in which we operate. That's a quote, by the way, from the website. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about um, that organization, what they do just sort of outside of their, their website you built? Um, yeah, well, the main source of income is selling Kalashnikov rifles and um, sort of, you know, sex toys. That's that's what they do. So, but apart from that, um, better edit that bit, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. They, they probably think it's quite funny as well. Um, not that it was. Um, I, well, I, again, I find it interesting what they did. So th- this was a... a, 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 a a trade body effectively was set up to crush the time it took to transfer ISAs, hence the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and Right, okay. And, and basically, it was taking months to transfer from Schroders to Jupiter mm-hmm. uh, or from M&G to, you know, whoever. So they actually said, no, no, if we can agree some standards and protocols, the information each want, and they've actually condensed the time. So the FCA were really pleased because it's treating customers fairly. Um, and, and that was really successful. The trouble is they set it up as a non-profit. And guess what? Didn't make any profit. They said, oh, hang on, that's a bit annoying. Um, so they went back to the 50, 157 asset manager and said, right. what's the thing that's bugging you? How can we help if we collectively get together? Yeah. Um, so basically what they're doing, they're creating a, a blockchain-powered platform whereby the asset managers will put their information there, something called key information documents, KIDS. So put the documentation onto an independent site and then the wealth managers, IFAs, can then draw the information down. So they'll, they'll know when was the... It, when was it put up? Mm-hmm. Who's drawn it down? Who's looked it? So again, it comes back to this whole thing around transparency. But that obviously depends on whether the information that's being uploaded is right. Who's there to check that? Well, the the well, the the asset managers have to produce this information at the moment, and it's checked by obviously it's checked internally, but it's checked externally by the regulators to make sure because they're regulated. Yeah, because they're they're all regulated entities. So so. Um, this is going to give much more transparency from documentation. It's going to help the regulators. It's going to help the financial advisors, and it'll be one place that the they can actually upload it onto at the moment. Was the missing piece then not having a platform to upload it to? Because you'd have to individually go and download these documents, which I assume would be publicly available anyway. Yeah, yeah. Just a means to. It's a central depository. Yeah. But because it's on a blockchain, it makes it a lot more compliant because you've now got documentation of when it was uploaded, mm-hmm. who's looked it, when was it loaded. And if there's a mistake with the document, you load it, oh my goodness. So you can now flag it and say, don't buy this fund or mm-hmm. if you buy this fund, buy beware. And then they can take, there are other companies out that have done something similar, but nothing has ever gone onto a blockchain like this. And they've got aspirations. Well, we've, we've already got um, salespeople here for the UK and, and actually Europe um, in Germany because Germany's a very big market. And the intention is, it's to then go mutual funds, hedge funds, VC funds, ETFs, um, Europe, and 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 then on to Asia and, and America. And one of the initial big investors is actually a big Asian company. And they're saying this is something we desperately need to make the system more efficient. And and again, I think it's a great. The reason I was it, I was delighted to be asked to be a net of this is okay. I understand the mutual fund industry having been in it. I understand a little bit about blockchain, but it's a great example of making. Most people will never, ever know about this. It's just behind the scenes. Well, they will now. But it's just making the whole thing more efficient. Well, of course they know now, because, you know, this is, this is news, at, news at 10. Yeah, well, precisely. Watch out, Murdoch. Here comes um, Matt. Yeah, yeah, appreciate that. Uh, the last thing we want to talk about was Gemini Capital. Just tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, the, the founder, Stuart Alexander, I've known for a long, long time, bumped into him um, just up the road. And he suddenly said, um, I hadn't seen him for years. And he said, oh, do you want to be my chairman? And I said, what? He said, well, yeah, it's a bit like asking to sleep with someone on the first date. And I go, well, hang on, Stuart, what's all this about? One step at a time. <laughs> steady, boy, steady. <laughs> um, and essentially, um, he'd set up a platform in Dublin. Um, Dublin's a super interesting place, not just because it's great Guinness yeah. and friendly people, but they cross-sell to 90 jurisdictions 
Um, so if you ever use it in Dublin, you can sell to 90 other countries. Um, and we've got a platform now with about five and a half billion of other people's money that is managed by fund managers in Asia and in Europe and America. And we just do the compliance administration for them. And then they actually pick the stocks. And it's all very, very simple, straightforward equities and bonds. There's nothing, um, there's no There's no sort of cryptocurrencies or anything. And there's nothing untoward in there. It, it's, it's very much sort of the stuff that you find in your pension or in your savings. Um, so we, we enable smaller fund managers, um, although we na- actually now have some bigger fund managers because it's we can set up a fund um, faster and cheaper. Um, we're talking to one company at the moment and... Um, yeah, they've got a reasonable amount of money under management, but we've un- we we reckon we can undercut where they are at the moment by three hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year. Small amount of money, though. It's a lot of money. No, but they're yeah, just blimey. No, but they've got several billion. <laughs> but I think wow. Yeah. Um, um, I just want to sort of bring it back as we get to the end of this um, uh, to sort of why we're sitting here, which is is blockchain tech. What what projects are you excited about? Like, if we had one or two in the next few years, what is it that's that's really sort of exciting you? Um, I'm I'm really interested to see this um, digitization digitization of the land registry. Um, the the idea, you know, one oh, it's happening. Do we know this for a fact? Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, they're just finalizing the funding. Um, and the the reason I like this is there's a horrible product in the market that the industry hates. The regulators loathe, and it's, it's called um, equity release, and it's where you know my mum actually sells ten percent of her house, um, or you know, to an insurance company or a bank or whoever, and then the interest on that gets rolled up and rolled up. It's fine when you got low interest rates, but we, we've got a big inflation problem globally. It's just rubbish to say that it's going away. You know, we, we've printed far too much money. If you look at M1 money supply in the states, it was about four trillion, and then it zoomed about nineteen trillion now. 19 trillion um, and because the banks pay such poor interest rates as I say there's about 4 trillion being sucked out into these cash mutual funds but so if you have high interest rates you're basically the interest rate is eating away at the equity in your property whereas this um, equity release type scheme um, of common ownership you could buy 10% of my mum's house and mum's house is worth 100,000 you give mum um, 10 grand you now own 10% of Mrs Fry's house and when she dies your name's on the land registry you get 10% whether it's gone up or down um, now, it also means that, um, you know, for a lot of people that are not earning very much and can't get the property ladder, they can put, you know, a thousand pounds into a property in Norwich or into Reading or into Cambridge or into London. Um, or, you know, you're sitting in London and you own a million pound house, let's say. Um, and next to my Lamborghini. Next to Lamborghini. Um, and you're saying, well, actually, why have I got all my money tied up in one house? Yeah. Maybe I should sell 20% of this house that I live in and put that 200,000 into properties in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, diversify myself. But do you think blockchain tech is going to be able to allow people to deal with equity releases easier, quicker? Much quicker. It's going to be swipe. It's going to be like, I I've never used it, but um, what, what, are, what are the websites when you're dating, Matt? Websites. What's, what's your favorite one? The, the, the app. What's your favorite app? They've got Bumble, they've got uh, Hinge, they've got... I need I need know them. <laughs> them all over the tube all the oh, absolutely uh, so it's gonna be like that you'll literally be able to say okay well i want to put, I want to put what you've got to be kyc you're going to be swiping through like a dating app absolutely i like that house i like that house oh i want to own 10 percent in this done yep and it'll be like that or you'll be able to have then some of that money put into your bank account mm. and then you'll be able to literally buy a cup of coffee from starbucks using the brick off the top of your chimney so at the moment there's there's another another bank that we're working very closely with and that's exactly what they're working on at the moment 
So actually giving you loyalty points and then giving you cash so that you can then spend it on whatever you want to do. Wouldn't that be terrifying if you're a tenant? You can't sell more than 51%. So you can never be evicted. Because, I, I, I mean, yeah, that would really worry tenants. All of a sudden then the property that you live in is being traded. And, okay, well, it makes but, sense. but if you've got two properties, especially in London or big cities, they're identical. They're absolutely identical. And this one is actually liquid because it's you can trade it and this one isn't. Guess what? This one is probably worth, well, the bank's reckon it could be worth as much as 5% more. Because this is actually liquid. This, I can trade this up. Yeah, 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 it's open up for you to be able to trade, yeah. So, so, so the Bank of England claim, if this company can get off the ground, it could be, it, it could unlock about 300 billion. Would have to be regulated, wouldn't it, as well? They don't regulate property. That's it's a regulated property industry, but surely this would fall under regulatory regime because it is... They went to the FCA, so we want to regulate, said, no, we don't regulate property. So they went to the Bank of England. But not, it's not property, it's, it is... I mean, it's a token. It's sort of like, it's, it's a security to some extent, isn't it? Like you would in the American terms, right? It's, no. It's your name on the land registry. Shared ownership. Tra- <laughs> so you're trading a portion of ownership marked by an entry on the land registry. And therefore, the FCA have said to you, we don't do that. With us. Isn't that interesting? So I went to the Bank of England. The Bank of England said, this is brilliant. So how much do you think the residential property market is in the UK? No, come on. You give it a guess. You, you keep doing that. Typical lawyer. Just tell me. <laughs> Five and a half trillion. Wow. Five and a half trillion. So five percent, nudging three hundred billion. No debt, just unlocking. So actually, if it comes, you could actually sell, you know, ten percent of your house and buy a couple of Lamborghinis. There you go. Matchbox ones, maybe. <laughs> when I asked you what you're what you're excited about in the future, I wasn't thinking that you were going to say land register, but like you've you've convinced me. It sounds like a good. Uh... Well, it's it has it's look it's it's three hundred and twenty six trillion dollars worth of assets mm. you want to get if you're going to get excited no point getting excited over bitcoin where it might double or triple mm. this is this is this impacts on it impacts on equity release it also impacts on you know investors or, or people who don't have much money to be able to get onto the property ladder so that's why i think it's a it's a really really interesting project johnny thanks very much thanks matt appreciate you coming and talking yeah been a bit of fun oh certainly has thanks very much okay This podcast does not contain any financial or legal advice, and you should not seek to rely on it as such. Opinions are the individual's own. This podcast was produced and edited by Joe Hawkins and music by Luke Carey. Thank you for listening and see you next time.